but we need to get Bibles into everybody's hands. So if you didn't bring a Bible with you, just put your hand up and Bibles will appear from the back coming to your hand. Those of you that have them and as you're receiving them, Matthew chapter 26 is where we will be. Matthew chapter 26, that's the only scripture we'll mark for today. Let's get to the word. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, as we have uh, once again gathered together in your name, we uh, just need to re-up our own personal commitment to you this morning, Lord. As we know that your commitment to us has remained faithful, that even if we are faithless, you remain faithful because you cannot deny yourself. But Lord, so often we are, are faithless. And uh, Lord, we just confess to you this morning the distractions that we face, the idols of our minds, the things that pull us in every direction, even our own pride, Lord, that, um, that tells us we can make it without you. So Lord, those of us that are gathered here are gathered with one spirit, with one heart, with one mind, acknowledging that you are Lord. And asking you, Lord, to have your way in us. That what you started, that you would finish it. That you would be everything to us that we allow you to be. That you would keep knocking on the hearts of cold, um, of cold hearts, Lord. Keep knocking on the door of cold hearts. And that maybe this morning, one cold heart would warm and open and let you in. After they see just who you are and how much your great love endures for them. Father, we just pray that you open our eyes so that we can see wonderful things from your word. And we pray this all in the name of your son and all God's people said with a loud voice, amen. All right, that was a middle voice, but we'll let it go. Let me turn there. Matthew 26 is where we are. We began this study almost two years ago, calling it the biography of the king. And, and I call it a biography because I love to read biographies. Uh, it's a, it's, sometimes when we use the word story, it gives the uh, intimation of, of maybe a fairy tale. That somehow these things, well, they're just good stories. And, and, you know, there's lots of good stories out there. Some are true, some are not true. But it's just, just a story. This is more than a story. It's a biography. It tracks the real life teachings and events and actions of Jesus Christ. And so we started this some two, or nearly two years ago, not quite that, nearly two years ago. And we've been marching through just looking at the life of Jesus. And now we're in chapter 26 of the 28 chapters recorded by Matthew. And things are about to get very, very intense, more intense than they have been through the rest of, of what we've been reading. Uh, now we're looking at things not day to day. But moment to moment, if you look at chapter 26, verse 20, we read the words, when evening had come. And what comes after that is the explanation of the institution of the Lord's Supper. He breaks bread with them. It's the Passover meal. He sort of redefines the Passover, the the old Jewish feast, in terms of himself being the lamb. And it's his body broken and his blood shed. Then if you go over to chapter 27, verse 57... We see those same words again, now when evening had come. And that goes on down to to 61. So the evening in chapter 26 to the evening at the end of chapter 27 is one day, 24-hour period of time. 
And so the next you know, almost two chapters, really chapter and a half, are going to be outlining the details of events in a 24-hour period of time in the life of Jesus Christ and the disciples. Today, what we'll see after, after looking at and watching Mary come and pour out her worship on him and, and the institution of the Lord's Supper, uh, we're going to see Jesus being betrayed, his prayer in the garden, his arrest. And so what we see, again, it's intense, um, it's emotional, sometimes it's hard to, to read this and see those things. And hopefully as we go through, uh, we will get a sense of, of the deep gut emotion that is being experienced by, uh, by Jesus at this time, the disciples as well, the difficulty of this passage. So let's start in verse 31 Again, having just broken bread together, Judas having left the room to go and betray him, you know, fall, falling prey to the love of money. And we know that the Bible says the love of money causes uh, all kinds of, of evil nonsense, all kinds of things. And certainly that was the, the deal with Judas. So verse 31 begins, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So after dinner, uh, their, their bellies uh, satisfied. They go as a group, minus Judas, across uh, the Kidron Valley to the east of the temple. And those of you that have been in Israel or will be going, we will see this. We will be on uh, the Mount of Olives and we will walk across and, and see across the Kidron Valley. And they go across to the Mount of Olives, we, uh, the Olive Gardens there. And Jesus is speaking with them. And this is a place they gathered fairly often. It seemed to be a regular place because Judas knew it. Uh, but this is where they gather. And he, and he makes a statement. All of you will be made to stumble. Uh, it's the Greek word uh, scandalon, where we get the word scandal. You guys are going to um, be tripped up by something. You're going to be tripped up tonight by what? By him. Or, or what happens to him. And he gives a little quote from Zechariah. You know, I will strike the sheep and the, and the, sh- or the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And, you know, sheep aren't the smartest animals in the world. They kind of need a shepherd. They, they don't do well fending for themselves like maybe the deer do. Uh, so sheep are kind of dependent on their shepherd. And if the shepherd goes down, what happens to the sheep? I mean, we, we've seen this practically, haven't we, in, in terms of the church? When the shepherd get struck when when a pastor falls we see oftentimes churches people in churches scatter they get confused it causes a lot of anger a lot of destruction and so certainly in real life if you're a shepherd and the shepherd dies the sheep don't know what to do and they end up just kind of getting confused and scattering and so jesus is saying just like the sheep and their shepherd tonight you're going to be caused to trip up to be offended to desert me because of what you're going to see happen but he says, you know, verse 32, he goes beyond, he tells them, but, I, but after I've been raised, and they don't seem to always hear that. You know, when Jesus talks about his crucifixion and his resurrection, it's like, they hear crucifixion, but they don't hear and haven't comprehended this resurrection thing fully yet. So, and we see that fulfilled. We see that happen after the fact, verse 33. Now, Peter answers, and we know Peter, right? We've come to love Peter, the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. So Peter answers, and says to him, he just gets his chest real big. Peter said, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Oh, man, Peter. Wow. 
You are courageous. I'm so proud of you, Peter. You think he's genuine in what he's saying? I mean, think he's genuine when he says, look, Jesus, you know, you say that everybody's going to stumble, but, you know, Jesus, you don't know me. You know, I'm, str- I'm made of stronger stuff. Now, these other guys, you know, I can't account for them. Yeah, some of them are a little bit weak, I think. They, they need to be kind of culled out a little bit. But me, Jesus, me, I'm strong. I'm, if they all stumble, not me. I'm, I would, I'm not going to stumble. I'll never be made to stumble. I think he's genuine, don't you? I think he really means it. I don't think he has a real good sense of his own weakness, though. I mean, you ever, maybe you watch the Olympics in a sport that you compete in, and you're man, I could do that. You ever done that? Any armchair quarterbacks in here that you kind of, you watch something on TV and it looks so easy, or you watch someone else doing something, say, man, that, that looks so easy, I could do that. And then finally you get a chance to try it, if you get a chance to try it, and you've got to put your, your money where your mouth is, and you go, oh, this is a little harder than I thought it was. And we have this thing in us, this nasty human thing called pride. And, and somehow in our minds, our ego builds ourselves up internally to, to make us think we are stronger than we are. To somehow that we have this, this measure of strength that we don't really have. And, and talk is cheap. How many of you guys know talk is cheap? It's easy to sit around in a room with, with, a, with your drinking buddies or somebody else and say, hey, you know, we got all this courage. We can do it, we can do it. But then when you actually have to do it, that's another story. It's much easier to talk about being courageous than it is to actually be courageous, isn't it? It's much easier to talk about how strong you are than to actually have to demonstrate how strong you are. And so here Peter is talking about it, even if all are made to stumble. Now, he uses an interesting word because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Never is a long time, isn't it? So he's a little bit proud, don't you think? Is it just, I mean, I don't know if I'm just reading into that or it seems to me he's a bit proud. He he's, uh, uses this word never. And uh, he becomes a, a, sort of an expert on stumbling because we know that he does. We have, we've read the rest of the story and so we kind of know what, what happens to Peter. Let's read on a little bit farther and we'll talk a little bit more about this. Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter says, I'll never be made to stumble. And Jesus says, oh yeah, it's going to happen tonight. Like, it's not like two years from now or next week. He's so overconfident. And we know the Bible says pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so the minute you begin to have this pride, and some of us, many of us, I mean, if you're human, anybody here human? You wrestle with pride. You know, the The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I can do it myself. I'm strong. I'm able. We've grown up being taught that. You don't need any. You you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do it. You're strong. You know, I think Barney had some kind of message about that that we subject our kids to, you know. And so this is what we've been fed. And so Jesus says, matter of fact, you know, it's going to be tonight. Before the rooster crows... You will deny me three, not just once, but three times this evening. Now, what could Peter say to that? Now, at this point, Peter has a choice to make. Jesus says, you're going to, be, to, to stumble. Peter says, no, I'm not. You don't tell Jesus, no, I'm not. You know, you, he's right, you're wrong. And, and then, so now Peter has a choice. I mean, to me, I, I would be saying, Lord, what do I have to do to avoid that? How can, what do I have to do to not 
stumble. I mean, what would it take, Lord? I mean, I believe you, but I don't want that to be... I mean, we know how easy it is to stumble, and I don't want to stumble. Maybe you've stumbled. And there's a, there's a funny value in stumbling when you get back up. Because the person who's been forgiven much loves much. And the one who has stumbled... And just like Peter, and Peter's going to stumble, and then Jesus is going to recommission him. Peter, feed my sheep. And Peter's going to come back stronger in a lot of ways. So there's a value in stumbling, but that doesn't mean I want to have to leave myself open to stumble. If I, don't, if I can avoid it, I'd like to avoid it in my own life. And so I'd be asking Jesus at this point, what's it going to take for me to not do the thing that you're talking about? But that's not where Peter is. It's probably not where I am either, but nonetheless, Peter said to him, again with his chest out and his confidence glowing, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And Peter is being somewhat heroic, and when he pictures dying with Jesus, I mean, he's got a sword with him, we'll find that out later, he's got the sword with him, and when he pictures dying with Jesus, he says, Jesus, I'm going to stand next to you, we're going to fight to the death. This is heroic. I mean, Peter is just like, oh, glory. You know, the glory of a fallen hero to the rest of mankind is, is pretty awesome. When you die in battle, it's, you know, considered valiant and courageous. And that was Peter. He was ready to die side by side, you know, slicing up Romans until the last, uh, last man was standing. But again, I think Peter in his pride, number one, he doesn't understand Jesus. And number two, he doesn't understand himself and I think it's a good check for you and I, because there's maybe some of you in, in the room right here that have said, you know, there was a time when I needed Jesus, but, you know, I'm stronger now. I, I got built up, and so you begin to soften. Look, I come to church on Sunday morning not because uh, I'm gaining any brownie points or, you know, and this, I'm speaking, like, if I didn't come now, it would be quiet here now, because so I'm preaching, so I kind of have to come now. Um, but there was a time when it was just a, you know, it's a choice. And I began to learn about myself. You ever have that moment where you just have this, you, you realize that you're not all that you think you are? And you recognize that you're a lot weaker than you think you are? And that sort of makes you dependent. And I've met a lot of people that have been in and out of this fellowship, other fellowships, and, and they come to Jesus at a moment of weakness and they say, oh, you know, I can't, we just got this thing in my life, I can't get through it, I need some help, and they're broken, and it's temporary. And then once things pass, then, hey, I got it covered now, I'm good, I'm strong again. And I talk to, you know, when I talk to people, I share just my story. There's a man, there's a, there's a creature, a flesh creature that lives in my gut that I don't like, and Jesus keeps him chained. And as long as I stay close to Christ, because I'm weak, then I'm strong. But the minute I think I'm strong, remember Joshua? Joshua, the, the, the mighty leader who takes the Israelites across the Jordan and they conquer Jericho and the walls fall down and they're dependent on God and they're doing it God's way and they march around and six times and the seventh time the walls come down. And then to, they have this awesome victory. And then there's this next city which we pronounce AI. It's just spelled AI. I don't know how you pronounce that. But that's what we say. And it's, just, it's a smaller place. And so they send out spies to Ai. And they come back and say, oh, you know, we don't need to send everybody. Two, three thousand guys ought to do. I mean, it's, it'll be a piece of cake. We got them. And what happens there? They get routed. 
they get stomped. And they come back with their tails between their legs. Why? Because pride came before the fall. Because the minute you have pride, the minute you think you are going to stand, be careful. Because what happens is you relax. And you start to take it easy. You start to coast spiritually. And you begin to weaken. Because if you're not growing, you're getting weaker. If you're not getting stronger, then you're getting weaker. Now, let, let me just share this one other thing with you. Peter, by the way, the expert on stumbling, says this later in his life when he writes to the Jews that are dispersed, when he talks about uh, not stumbling, he says this in Second Peter chapter 1. He says, For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. He says, look, keep adding to your faith. Keep adding to your faith. Some of you, you have the same faith you had 12 years ago. You're, you're doing the same thing. You're in the same place. You've not made any spiritual progress in the last 12 years. You've just been coasting. And be careful, because this is what Peter says. If you do these things, if you, if you add to your faith and keep adding to your faith, then he says, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. You've got to keep adding to your faith. You can't relax. You can't coast. You've got to stick close to Christ. You've got to recognize your own weakness and your own dependence on the Lord. And it's from that, that you become strong. So Peter says, hey, I'm willing to die with you. Well, watch what happens next. Not just Peter, by the way. Look at the next verse. says, and so said all the disciples. They are all, Peter was saying it. They're going, yeah, yeah, us too, us too. Then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane, right in your margin, if you like to, oil press. It's the place where they pressed olives, that all the olive trees around them, and then in the midst of all that was the place where they would press the olives and squeeze. And what appropriate place for Jesus to be praying as he feels the press or the pressure of the weight of the world's sin for all history on his shoulders. So they go to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. You guys stay here. I'm going to go pray. And verse 37, he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, Peter, James, and John, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Again, as I said, this is a very intense, intense scene. Jesus in the garden, it's nighttime. It's dark outside. The stars are in the sky, assuming it was a clear night in Jerusalem. And he he begins to pray. And he goes aside to pray. He grabs Peter, James, and John. And and the thing that Jesus says of himself, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. It's such a deep, deep grief that maybe some of us have felt that. A deep grief that unless it is somehow subsided, it will lead to your own death. Have you ever been so deeply grieved that you thought you would die from grief? And I know some of you have. I know some of you have been through some deep, deep waters. Some of you have been through some terrible things, and maybe you know that gut-wrenching, deep, deep, deep anguish. 
And he, he collapses there in prayer. And he asks, he says, I'd like to have some, you guys stay with me. I think sometimes it's nice to have company when you're grieving like that, isn't it? It's not that they need to say anything. Sometimes when we're trying to, to help someone who's grieving, we feel like we've got to say stuff. I'm subject to that. I'm like a Peter, you know, stick my foot in my mouth. And sometimes you don't know what to say. But so you just talk anyway. And sometimes the people that are grieving, that are sorrowful, just need somebody nearby. And so Jesus said, I want you to come with me. But you stay here. I'm going to go over there and pray. And I don't think, he's been so courageous up through this point. I don't think he's so sorrowful just because of the cross, if that would be enough, certainly. I mean, to face crucifixion, the most horrendous form of torturous execution that has ever been known to mankind. But I think that what is making him so, so deeply sorrowful and deeply grieved is that he knows he's going to go through this alone. There are going to be people at the cross, but ultimately he cannot, there's no one that's going to be able to bear this burden with him. And it's the burden of the weight of every sin of every human being that has ever lived or ever will live on his shoulders. The weight of the salvation of mankind is resting on his shoulders and his ability to endure what God has set before him. That's heavy. And so verse 39, he went a little farther and fell on his face. He collapses and he prayed one of the the most amazing prayers that we would do well to heed. He says, Oh, my Father, Abba, Daddy, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That is one of the most powerful prayers. Some people would say that's a cop-out prayer. Maybe some people, you know, you're in a prayer meeting and you're praying, Oh, Lord, we just pray for your will to be done you know, and, and you've been taught that you've got to claim this and claim that. And, you know, the Lord wants to release us from this and get me out of this. And, and here, I mean, this is a clear, classic example. The, the ultimate worshiper, Jesus Christ, praying, Father, if it is possible. Is it possible? I mean, with God, all things are possible. Could there be another way? I mean, is there some, is there some other way to accomplish and secure the salvation of mankind throughout history other than me drinking this cup, and the cup, Old Testament-wise, the cup would be referred to oftentimes the cup of vengeance, the cup of wrath of God. Um, in, in Greek times, if you wanted to execute somebody, the Greeks would often make that prisoner or that person drink a cup of poison. And so the prisoners would be lined up, those that were going to be given the death sentence to be executed. Uh, and uh, Socrates was killed this way, drinking the cup. Was it Socrates, right? A cup of arsenic. Um, and so you'd have to dr- drink your... You'd have to drink your own poison. And so Jesus, in this amazing moment of, of openness and transparency, and he says, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And then we see this beautiful yieldedness of Christ that, again, we would do well to, to heed. It says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. There's a lot of discussion about what worship is, isn't there? I mean, we, we, all, we think when we sing, it's worship. And I've been talking to you know, my son and some other young folks about worship. And I talk about any time I can because we've really been sold a bill of goods in our current church age, I think. Because we've been taught, somehow it's come to pass that worship includes or involves just singing. And that's worship. 
And that's praise, and praise is part of worship. But listen, there's a part of worship that we don't like to talk about, and that's obedience. Obedience is an incredible part of worship. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, from the, the story of Saul, we know that to, to obey is better than to sacrifice. We thought, oh, Lord, we're going to come and we're going to offer you the sacrifice of our lips, you know, giving thanks to your name, the praise of our lips. And, you know, and it's wonderful to offer the sacrifice of praise to God. But sometimes what he wants is obedience. I've, I've experienced, I have kids, I have kids, I've experienced this with my own children. And, the, you know, it's wonderful when the kids decide to empty the dishwasher or sweep the floors and all those things. But what, I re- what really blesses me is when they just listen. Parents, say amen. Amen. Isn't that what we know that's true? It's wonderful when, because you have a plan, mom and dad. You have something you've, you've decided to accomplish. And it's great when you invite your kids to join you in accomplishing that. And they actually do. You see, God has something he's going to accomplish in this world. And he invites you and me to take part in that. And whether or not we can, whether or not we will, depends completely on our obedience. Because his plan doesn't always line. It's one, we, are, we are so victorious in obedience when God's plan lines up with ours. Man, God, that's exactly what I think. I'm going to obey you in that. You bet I'm going to do that. Right on. But what happens when God's will does not line up with our will? Do you worship him? By laying down, by, you know, I write these, I wrote these words in my notes. Uh, surrender. Yield. Obey. Worship. And this is what we see. So, so worship involves so much more than, than just singing and this is the most difficult because we are the land of the free, you know, where life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, you know. And so this is very tough for us to pray this prayer. What does it take? To, well, we'll talk more about this prayer as we go through. We can talk more about that. Powerful, isn't it? I mean, are, are you, are, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, have you prayed that to God? When's the last time? You had to do something, you know, as I gather the kids around occasionally, we talk and I say, kids, you have to know this about life. Sometimes the right thing is not the easy thing. And if you're going to obey God in this world, sometimes you're going to have to be willing to do something that's not popular and not easy. Something that may cost you something. If you consider uh, yourself a worshiper of God. Obedience is something we don't often talk about. We'll talk a little bit more about that before we finish today. So he, he prays this prayer and verse 40. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? I mean, this is Peter. Hey, Jesus, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die with you. But isn't that so like us? I mean, yeah, you know, if it, came to, if it ever came and the Bible was illegal and, and church had to go underground, I would be there. I would go, you know. But then, you know, we come to church this morning and the song, the music plays and you go, I don't feel like singing. You know, so I'm just going to stand here. I'm too tired to sing. I didn't get much sleep last night and just opening and closing my mouth like that, that's tiring, you know. It's the energy, muscles got to flex. I'll just wait till the to listen to the, to the teaching. And I won't really, you know. But Jesus, if, if, if the Bible was illegal and church was underground, I'd be part. I'd be there with you. So sometimes we seem to have all this great courage verbally in these big, valiant things. But when it comes to the little things in life, the little aspects of worship, 
we find we fail so often, don't we? And it's just a recognition, a self-examination of these things and to draw us closer to dependency on the Spirit of God in our lives. So they're sleeping. What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And this is what we struggle with. You know, the Spirit, those guys, they had Spirit, didn't they? They were ready. They were all girded up and ready to go with Jesus. But the flesh was weak. And so what's the answer for that? You've got to watch. You've got to be vigilant with your life. You've got to be vigilant with your time. You've got to be vigilant with your study. You've got to be vigilant with your prayer life. Watch and pray so that you don't fall into a place where you're denying Jesus, where you're growing weaker. Jesus is praying, they're sleeping. There's a lot of people in this church. There's some people in this church, they're praying while you're sleeping. They're studying while you're recreating. And I'm not saying all those things, sleep is good. You know, how many of you know sleep is good? Sleep is good. Because you get cranky when you don't get your sleep. So I'm not telling you don't sleep. Sleep. But I'm telling you there's a time to pray. And not, to, not necessarily to be calling everybody on your, or Facebooking everybody or, or doing all that stuff. There's a time where you just got to get alone with the Lord. And you fall on your face before Him and you pray. What is it that drives you there? When does that happen for you? What does it take for God to put you in a place where you're dependent on Him? He says, I want you guys, you guys should be... How many of you have been athletes and you know that the, the, the game, the sport is won, not necessarily on the field, but off the field? Do you know what I mean by that? It's the things you do in, prep, in preparing for the Olympics that will contribute to whether or not, to how well you compete when you're there. And just like that, the same way the day of the competition is not the day to begin preparing. The day to prepare is all the months and years before that lead up to that. That's what praying and that's what watching being vigilant do. They prepare you for that moment that that was unexpected. The spirit is willing. Oh yeah, I feel like I could do it. But man, our flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak. So again, verse 42, a second time he went and prayed saying, Oh my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Second time. So again, he's praying this again. And sometimes, you know, Jesus talked about re- uh, repetition in our prayer. And he said, don't, don't do repetitive prayers. But there's a difference between repetitive praying and repeated prayer. You pray until the burden is lifted. You pray until you have an answer. You pray until you've humbled yourself sufficiently to do what God wants you to do. There's something, see, what Jesus is doing is continuing to prepare his own heart for what he's facing. He's fully human. Fully God. And so I love this because, I mean, there's, I've been, have you been there in your life? I mean, I've been there. And some of you guys know the story. I'll just share it real, real briefly because it's a time in my life when I had to go through this thing as I had to quit my old job to become a pastor. I had told Jesus, I will teach Bible studies forever till you come back, but don't make me a pastor. I don't want to do that. That's not my will. My will is to grow old working with horses, teach my son to work with horses, and, you know, we'll have the family business, and, you know, that's what I'm going to do to grow old. And that was not God's will for my life. And there came a time in my own life recognizing that my will was different from God's will. And I asked the elders at the church at that, at that time, I said, you guys have to pray with me and pray for me as I'm praying for God to change my heart, for God to bring my will in alignment with his. 
And so I had to pray that multiple times for six months. Because being a pastor wasn't in my 20-year plan. And you know what happened after praying that repeatedly for months? You do know what happened. And how many of you, just like me, are thankful for this fellowship? And there's times, you know, there's times we find ourselves... That's important because you have to realize that this is his fellowship, right? This was not my idea. This is all his plan. It's just a matter of, of when we say in our heart, Lord, I want your will. What does it take to pray that prayer? It takes humility. It takes humility. Philippians chapter 2 says, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient, even to the point of death. And so to be obedient requires that you are humble. And pride is what gets in the way of obedience. When you say, I know what God wants, but I know better, that's pride. That says, you know better than God. This is God. God says, this is my will for you. You say, "Uh uh-uh, this is my will for me. And trust me, if you could see eternity laid out before you, and you could see the differences between your choice for your will down this path and God's choice for your will down this path, and you could see the end of all those things, you would say God's will is better every time. Although you may not see it because we lack vision, God knows the end from the beginning. And if He's calling you to do something today, you know, you've met somebody and they're not saved, but, you know, and you know God's will is not that you would be yoked together with an unbeliever. Or or you're going through some difficult thing and you know God is calling you to minister to the person you just despise. Or to show kindness to someone you don't really care for. And you're like, God, I don't feel like it. I don't see anywhere in here where Jesus felt like it. I see a place where he said, if it's possible, can you find a plan B, God? But I see submission. I see yieldedness. I see surrender. He came and found them asleep again, verse 43 says, for their eyes were heavy, heavy from sorrow, we learn. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Now, I don't know at which point it was, but Luke, the doctor, records in his gospel, and some of you know, that Jesus, as he was praying in the garden, was sweating great drops of blood. Do you remember reading that? And and Luke, Luke was the doctor, and so he records this. Now, my brother up in Rhode Island is a doctor. And so when I read this, I had to check with him. So is it possible? to? I mean, is the Bible right when it talks about sweating drops of blood? I mean, does that happen? It's very rare, but it's a condition called hematidrosis. And it's because of such tremendous amount of grief and such tremendous amount of anguish and stress that, that the capillaries in a mother's brain... No, I'm just kidding. The capillaries... Moms know that, you guys know that feeling. That that the capillaries in the sweat glands rupture and leak blood into the to the pores and, and that comes out mingled with the sweat. It's a very rare condition, but it does happen, has been recorded outside of the Bible. Hematidrosis. So the so the tremendous, tremendous amount of weight and pressure. And Jesus saying Lord, if there's, if there's another way, but, but if not, let your will be done. And it's just presenting your body a living sacrifice. Lord, I am yours wherever you want to take me, whatever you want to do with me, whatever your will is for me. Lord, I, I will glorify you with my body in life or in death. 
Easy for me to say, hard to live out. And we know the truth of that. So a few more verses and we'll, we'll finish up here for this morning. Verse 45, then he came to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping? Are you continuing to sleep and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. He doesn't say, rise, let's get out of here before they get there. Jesus is completely in control of the whole circumstance. Everything is working out just as it had been planned. And meanwhile, while he was speaking, verse 47, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately, he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. So remember, it's dark. And in the darkness, they can't recognize who's who. Many of them didn't know who Jesus was. He, he didn't say, you know, or the one that's glowing in the dark. Take him. That's the one. That's not what, I'm going to kiss him. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. That's what the proverb said. So, and he calls him, like he says, greetings, who? Rabbi. Remember back at the Lord's Supper, they were all wondering who was going to betray him. And they said, Lord, is it I? And then Judas says, Rabbi, is it I? Again, uh, just betraying his real relationship or lack of. To him, Jesus was just a teacher. And I think, I think he thinks Jesus was a phony, a fake. I think that's why he betrayed him. This guy says he's the Messiah. He's not a Messiah. He's just a teacher. He's just a rabbi. And so I think, you know, again, that's just speculation, but I think Judas was, was, sometimes it's the people that are closest to you. Because look, verse 50, Jesus said to him, friend or companion, why have you come? Sometimes the betrayal that hurts the worst is from the person that's the closest. The person who had betra- uh, pretended to be a friend, who had betra- pretended to be on your side, who you'd been through some stuff with, and then you come to this place of disagreement where they don't see things your way and you don't see things their way and you find out they've sold you out, they've betrayed you. The one who uh, I kiss, greet him. I mean, excuse me, arrest him. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with him, or with Jesus, stretched out his hand and drew his sword. You know who that was? That was Peter. Uh, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Peter is not a marksman. Uh, who know, how did that happen? You know, I mean, so Peter just in the dark, he just starts swinging. And, and this high priest servant, Malchus is his name, he gets in the way. And just like often happens, what the, what, when we start cutting people down, Jesus has to pick up the pieces. And Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, Peter. Learn how to use that thing, would you? No, that's not what he says. Put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? That's 72,000 angels. 72,000 angels can do a lot of damage. Peter, don't you get it yet? This is... Is what has to happen. How then, verse 54, could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? And in that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber 
with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then here it comes, the last verse for, for today. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. The very thing that they were so confident they wouldn't do never happened to me. That's what, exactly what happened, just as it was said. Uh, one final note. Um, those who uh, take up the sword will perish by the sword. Uh, if you want to do battle a certain way, then be careful because the way you choose to do battle is the way that will, will be used against you. And sometimes the very thing you're trying to accomplish through your ungodly methods and tactics will end up coming back to hurt you rather than help your cause. Uh, you know, if you're going to go into battle and you're going to fight with a sword, well, someone else is going to have a bigger sword. And the very thing you thought you were going to use to fight with is going to be used against you. And so just be careful, you know, when you demand your rights when you demand your way, because sometimes when you begin to fight in certain ways, you know, our battle, our, our, our methods, our weapons are not uh, carnal. We don't fight that way. We fight with spiritual weapons. We have the weapon of prayer. We have the weapon of love. Those things are much stronger. And, and so, so I pull out my sword of love, and then that person pulls out their sword of love back. I say, oh, yeah, thank you. Good. That, that works. That works for me. Right? We're going to continue to march through this in the following weeks, and um, it, it, gets, it goes from heavy to heavier as we will get into a description of what crucifixion was like, um, what the cross was all about, the process, all of this now personal for me and for you. And it's very hard to read this and to understand this and to go out and to live in sin. When you realize, you know, there's that song, I'll never know uh, what it costs to see my sin upon the cross. We just get a little sense of it when we read this, of the cost of my sin. And so why would I want to go and continue? So as, as Phil and the praise team come up, you know, maybe you're, you're sitting here this morning and as you're reading this, and you're here, you know, someone, someone drug you here, someone asked you to come this morning, and you don't really know much about uh, the Bible, you've been to church, but you've never really read these things. You've never understood these things. Uh, Jesus giving up his whole life for you. A 33-year-old man giving up his life for you, God himself. And so, uh, and, and you're living in sin and you're, you're doing these things and you're having your will and you're full of pride and all of those things we've talked about. And maybe today's the day of your salvation. Maybe today's the day you go, you know what? I need some of that surrender. And you think when you surrender, it's going to be, you know, awful and terrible. And I've watched people, you know, fight and kick and scream and, oh, it's horrible until they finally die to themselves. And then there's rest. It's true, isn't it? Any of you been like that? You fought against the will of God just like Paul saw in, in, on the Damascus Road. And then finally when you lay it down, there's new life. And there's freedom when you say, Lord, I want what you have for me. I'm tired of making my own way. I'm try tired of trying to figure this out myself. I need a shepherd. And if you need a shepherd this morning, then as we stand, we're going to sing a final song. And if you just find yourself lost, a lost sheep, 
then just come forward and we'll tell you more about the shepherd, the one who purchased your soul with his blood.